Welcome to the Life Purpose Podcast, the podcast that supports you in finding and embodying your purpose. My name is Paulisari, and I am your host. In this episode, I talk to Sarah Marshang. Sarah lived for 10 years in retreat. Towards the end of that time, she heard a very distinct call to leave her life of silent meditation and to re-engage with the world. She resisted the call at first, but eventually she followed it. Now she is here to share with us that story and the work that she proceeded to do, which she calls self-history. Our conversation is centered around the intersection between contemplative practice and the process of finding and living one's purpose. Some of the questions that we discuss are how does connection with source inform our understanding of what we are here to do? What does it mean to live in alignment with our calling? And what is the way to find enjoyment in the parts of our lives that we do not generally find enjoyable? Before we dive into the conversation, I would like to mention that I have made some pretty dramatic changes to my website. It's basically a completely new website, at least when it comes to the most central parts of it. The address is the same as always, though, paulisari.com. Check it out if you're interested. And now, here is my conversation with Sarah Marshank. I hope you'll enjoy it. Okay, so welcome to the Life Purpose podcast, Sarah. Glad to be here, Polly. Yeah, so... Let's start with a very foundational question here. What is purpose? How did you understand the concept of life purpose? How do you frame that? It's such a broad and nuanced um, thing. I don't even know what to call it, but I would say, if I had to define it, I would say that purpose is that sense of alignment um, that um, gives somebody a sense of, um, I'm on the right track, I'm centered in myself, I'm doing what's mine to do. Um, So it's, it's very much an interior experience as opposed to an external uh, Mm. specific action. It's a sense of rightness Mm. is um, how I experience it. Yeah, an internal experience. That is interesting because often people point towards the the results, our purpose, our following, our purpose creates in the world. But you are choosing to emphasize more the sense of being on purpose, the sense of rightness and alignment. Yes. Yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So I'm. Uh, so I'm a little bit curious here about. Do you also? Uh, because it is. In order to feel like we are in alignment, usually it kind of. It. I guess it could feel like that for someone in almost any context, but I'm guessing usually it is a specific context, a specific activity, or that we have a specific focus in our life that helps us feel more of that alignment. So how do you see that the inner and outer come together here? Hmm. Beautiful question. So I'll share with you um, a teaching from my ancestral lineage in Judaism And the rabbis talk about two kinds of purposes, which is really beautiful. And the Hebrew language is actually very um, rich and layered. So the rabbis say that the first purpose that we have is what's called our tachlit. And what a tachlit is, it's our responsibility to be connected to God. Um, That's the word that Judaism uses. I prefer to use the word source which encompasses any particular orientation towards um, the mystery, something something bigger than us, something incomprehensible or unknowable that we have, you know, that we have a relationship with, and in many traditions we are an, a manifestation of, right? So that's one purpose of ours is to 
to, to nurture our relationship with truth, the absolute source, God. And the mm. rabbis put that primary. And so the religion and many religions are based in this foundation of having a right relationship with truth or God. And then the rabbis say, and as long as you're doing that and recognizing that that's your primary purpose, then what arises out of that is what's called your tough kid. And your tough kid, according to the rabbis, is, is what you do in the world, how you actually enact your relationship to truth, right? Your relationship to God. Mm. And so, and, and the beauty in this teaching is that, so, so the rabbis basically say primary is your relationship with yourself and truth, with yourself and your God. Secondary is the expression of that out in the world, uh, whether you're, you know, a gardener or you're a prime minister, not relevant. Whether you're feeding your child or you're feeling, feeding a homeless person, they're all equal in that regard, as they are connected to your tachlit, which is your relationship with source. And the follow-up teaching to that is, because it's not a linear process, do this first, right? Get yourself together with God and then, right? And then you'll know what to do in the world, the rabbis say. And in the meantime, cultivate good actions in the world. So just what, what are you interested in? What are you excited about? What do you feel drawn to? Start doing that as you're also cultivating your tachlit, your relationship with source. And there they will feed one another. And it's, it's, it's as if your being, which is your relationship with source or yourself as source, and then your doing, which is how you enact in the world, they come together into an ongoing becoming, if you will. Hmm. And that whole thing is your purpose. That is the purpose of being human. Hmm. Hmm. So in some sense, then, being in touch with source is... So you said it's not a linear process, but still, in some sense, being in touch with source is a prerequisite for actually being in touch with your purpose or like what you do in the world. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the foundation in a way. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, this leads me to... Um, so many people who have been engaging in spiritual practice for a long time, like more the you know meditative traditions, um, often find that that actually doesn't give them like a clear sense of purpose. It certainly gives them a you know wonderful deep um, contact with source, but it doesn't necessarily tell them like help them so much with how to you know, live in the world. Um, how, yeah, how do you see that? Mm. Because that kind of speaks a little bit against what you said. So, so maybe you have a different take on this. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so I'll share a little bit about my personal story to illustrate how I would answer that question, which is I spent um, 10 years in retreat doing basically meditative practices, silence, fasting, pranayama, yoga, um, not connected to the world. It was very monastic and very Zen-like. And, mm. and it was for 10 years. I did not work. I did not interface with my family or the outside world. My focus was very much on the absolute, on realizing the absolute in the stillness and in the emptiness. And so I would meditate for hours, uh, you know, in any given day, for days on end, for months on end, being silent and really focusing on precisely what you're talking about. And my goal was to become the absolute, you could say. Hmm. So that's one very um, profound 
journey. And it is that prerequisite, right, that we were talking about. So what I discovered after, I would say I had a turning at about seven years, I stayed another three to corroborate it or validate it. I'm a little bit slow. Um, But um, so at about the seven year mark, after a three month silent um, period, I did a, did a retreat within my retreat in a cabin in the woods, and I was alone and silent and meditating for three months. And the, the, the intuition, you could say, I got, or the message that I got, or the knowing that I got, was to go back out in the world. And I resisted it. Mm. Because I felt like my goal was to just die into that emptiness, that I wasn't really this, that I wasn't really interested in being human. Human being humans were crazy. They were they were sick. They were the world was just not a very welcoming or comforting place. And I was much happier in the silence and the stillness that my meditation brought me to. And yet it was in the heart of that immersion where I heard it was as if I heard Source say to me, All right, sweetheart, now go back into the world. Hmm. And I said to Source, I said, no, I really, I'm not interested. I just want to stay here with you. And Source said to me, listen, if you want the full relationship with me, you have to go be human again. So obviously I'm anthropomorphizing this, but it gives you and the listener a sense of what was coming alive in me once I was able to really access that stillness. And so I took a chance, Bali. I said, I said to myself, I said, I got to follow this intuition. I got to go back out into the world, even though I really don't feel like it, and see if what I'm hearing is actually true for me. And so I did. And I came back into the world without any relationship with my family, without any uh, contact with the outside world, without any money, without having worked for 10 years, so my career was dead. Um, and I had this faith, I had this trust that, that I, was, I was connected and aligned enough with Source that I wasn't being led astray. And worst case scenario... I could always go back into the wilderness and into retreat. There was nothing stopping me. Mm. So it's when I step back into the world, and this may resonate for some of the meditators here and the deep practitioners, it was if the world was, was inviting me to engage with it from the, the, the source, from the center of source in me. The specifics of what I was to do, I had no clue. Like I said, I was out of work. I needed to work now. I needed to make money. And so I had um, I, I had a degree in education, but I also had studied massage therapy. Mm. So I decided to go and just get a job touching people's bodies where I could still mm. be quiet and meditate. So that was my first step. So I got a job at a local spa doing massage a few days a week, and I rented a very small apartment in town. And so it was through carrying my meditation, and I took a baby step. I didn't come out into the world and say, oh, I need to bring this spiritual teaching to all of humanity and go feed the homeless. All I did was listen for, in this moment, what can I do from the state of being. And the first thing that came to me was just be quiet with people and touch them. Mm. And from there, just like I said that the rabbi's teaching said, from there it was kind of an iterative process. I sustained my meditation practice and my, my ritual, my morning ritual of prayer and connection and, and my own unique way of being in right relationship with source, that was my tachlit that came first, that was always and still is woven into the fabric of my life. And then my doing in the world just emerged and unfolded. And I didn't have an idea in my head that it needed to look any certain way. I had no lofty ideals of what now I could do after these 10 years of retreat. It was just be human, Sarah. Just be human and then 
listen for what's revealing itself in front of you and what's unfolding and trust that process. And now here I am, 2004 to 2020, so 16 years later, and my doing in the world has evolved to a form of teaching and mentoring. Um, And I'm also a grandmother, and I'm a, a member of a community, and I have a garden, and my human beingness is tethered to my relationship with Source. Hmm. Hmm. So... Is it that you have kind of been following some, do you feel like you've been guided in some some sense? So you're just basically all the time follow, um, listening and then following the call in a sense. Yeah, I think it's really a creative process. I mean, I feel my work is 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 called selfistry and it's about the artistry of being human. So I feel like it's a creative process, this dynamic and very alive relationship between you could say my human self and my source self, right? There's this this relationship, there's a love affair that unfolds. Now, who's guiding it or what's guiding it? I don't know. You know, I don't know. I just know when, going back to your first conversation, I know what it feels like when I'm in alignment, when, when there's this sense of rightness inside out and outside in. Mm. Yeah. So, mm, so I would like to make a connection here between what you said first about um, the rabbi's words about doing both of these things simultaneously, um, deepening one's connection to source and at the same time finding one's calling in the world. Because um, you, for you, in some sense, there was... Um, you did one of these things quite at uh, depth first. So, wh- how what how would you advise people? Um, do you think that it's necessarily, in some sense, to first take this deep dive, or would you guide people to do these things simultaneously? Yeah, it's a beautiful question. Um, Fortunately or unfortunately, most of the people that I encounter um, in the world in 2020, the opportunity to take 10 years in retreat or even 10 months or even 10 days for some people can be very, uh, can be impossible. Um, Mm. So um, sometimes what I like to say is, okay, I did the 10 years so you don't have to. But here's my recommendation is let's create a, a lifestyle where you are nurturing both sides of this. We could call it a polarity, right? Both sides. So you're nurturing your tachlit, your relationship with source, right? And you're engaging in the world in a way that feels like what the Buddhists would say, right action. So it feels an integrity to you. It may not feel 100% on purpose, but not to worry about that. Um, to just continue in the process of nurturing both of these poles or both of these parts of you. And you will find them beginning to come into harmony and coherence. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that your life goes perfectly or you get everything you want or you become a huge success out in the world. All those external measurements are... um, I think are actually an impediment to to really living on purpose. I think the external measures are way too emphasized and and mm. the ideals of a life purpose are way too lofty in our modern culture, and that there's a certain humility and a certain settling into the um, the ordinariness of a human life that is aligned with source, that isn't about being seen or recognized or achieving or success by any external measure. Now, those may come. I mean, look at the Dalai Lama. He definitely has those. But it's not like it was something that he was seeking or chasing. It was something that emerged out of his relationship with himself 
and with source. Mm. Yeah. So, I, so short answer to your question is: I say you have to do both. You have yeah. to work on both. Yeah, simultaneously. Mm. So. Okay, so if I zoom in a little bit on the on the more um what did you call it? I don't don't quite know these Hebrew words, but the second <laughs> one. <laughs> <laughs> the doing in the world? Yeah, the doing okay. in the world. Let's call that the doing. We can call the other one the being. Yeah. So okay. Zoom in more on the doing. Um what yeah, what kind of what would you suggest for a person who wants to deepen that aspect, who wants to find a doing in the world that is more aligned with their soul. Yeah. Yeah. So I recently heard this question asked to um, a teacher um, in the integral community who I respect. And um, the question basically was asked, like, I don't want to just, I'll, I'll simplify it. That questioner said, I don't want to just flip burgers at the logo bur- burger joint. I, I, I want to wait. I'd rather not work. I'd rather not feed the system. <clears throat> I'd rather wait until I can get a job or a doing that's really aligned with, with, with what I value. Let's say some sort of global transformation. Mm. And this teacher basically said to this young man, and I, you could feel the passion in this young man, like, really, I want to do good. I want to serve the transformation of humanity. We're in an unprecedented moment in human history. Um, there's, there's, you know, we're living in an existential crisis of sorts. I don't feel like I can actually flip burgers and feel good about myself. I need to be more on purpose. And this teacher said to him, he said to him, you know, what if, just imagine what if, what if you were to go and flip those burgers with a certain quality of being and presence that was the transformational offering that you are longing to bring and that your idea of what that should look like is actually contributing to the transformation not happening. So kind of flip this young man into a perspective of, of oh, I'm too focused in this moment. And, he, and granted, this teacher might have answered another student another way, which is why it's very important to tell the truth about where you're at in your own process and be willing to inquire But basically, he was saying to this young man is transformation happens due to how you are with what you're doing. Mm. And secondary, it's what you're doing with how you are. So at some point, you'll find your way to the job that would really feel good to you regarding transformation. But right now, if you have to feed your children... Or you have to contribute to society, and the only job available to you is flipping burgers. Go flip those burgers and flip them well. And be in integrity with how you're flipping them and how who you're serving them to and how you're serving them. And then see what emerges and unfolds out of that next step. Mm. I thought it was beautiful. I thought it was incredibly beautiful because I think we all, I imagine all of the listeners on this, you know, wonderful podcast are feeling like we are, ha- you know, our doing in the world has to really count. And, and I don't quite have that job yet or that position yet or that influence or that impact. And what this teacher was saying is start where you are, have impact where you are. And then continue to nurture your relationship with source and trust in the unfolding and the emergence. Mm. Yeah. Um, so I divide purpose into eight different aspects, or we do at the Purpose Guys Institute. And um, one of them is called the giveaway. And that is 
something that we do naturally that supports yeah that helps other people in their transformation in one way or the other that's something that we just do automatically but almost in any situation and mm, you could do that while flipping burgers mm-hmm. <laughs> um, in the way you're meeting people and how you are in that space mm-hmm. and that would color the way you are doing that job and if you um you know start doing that job and go into it with the um intention to kind of find your giveaway in that uh, context you may then be able to find a context that where that giveaway will um yeah serve uh, even better or mm-hmm. yeah Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. The giveaway. I love that. That's a great place to start. Find what you have a natural inclination to do, right? That you just do naturally and follow that. And so maybe you'd have a choice between, you know, flipping burgers or cleaning houses, right? And maybe your natural giveaway is more the context of cleaning. You know, for me, like doing massage as opposed to getting an elementary school teaching job, the massage just felt more the context was more conducive to my giveaway, which was just to be loving with people and be present with people. I felt like I could do that in in a therapeutic uh, context more than an educational context. And now here I am 16 years later teaching, right? So... So to distrust the unfolding of that is it's it's not only is it humbling but it's also kind of this magical mysterious treasure hunt right where where I'm I continually trusting and aligning with my own giveaway or my own natural you know my own natural movement in the world and we all we all have kind of a different flavor of that and then letting the impact of that continue to emerge um, in some sort of mysterious unfolding of our lives, which yeah. I think is can be really fun and magical, not just hard and intense. Yeah. Yeah, that's certainly my experience of being on purpose that it makes life much more fun right (laughs) good (laughs) yay yeah Yeah. even though that like following uh, that calling can be very challenging in many ways and at least i find myself doing lots of things that i don't particularly um 100% 100% enjoy like with the process of creating a podcast you know not all of it is the interviews it's lots of other stuff around it that is maybe not super fun but still it just feels right even doing yeah. those not so fun things it feels just this rightness that pervades everything and yeah so that's the important mm-hmm. thing even what's not fun is yeah fun. and I think that's a really Exactly. And that's a really good distinction. When I say fun, I mean that overall sense of joy and wonder. Um, But in no way does any life get by without hardships and difficulties and, and things, doing things that are uncomfortable. I think if we believe that when we are living our life of purpose, that it's all easy and enjoyable and comfortable, I think we're in big trouble because what you and I are pointing towards is a sense of joy and wonder that includes grief and loss and fear and hardship, not one that assumes those things will not show up. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's important, mm. I think. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, I had this thread that I wanted to follow up on, and now it's just gone somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> There's another one, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, let's pick up another thread and see what that leads to. Hmm. 
What were we just talking about? <laughs> we were talking about the giveaway, and yeah. then we were talking about yeah, to to fall yeah, the yeah, unfolding, doing the things the that are not fun but are still fun. Yeah, so now I found a thread again. In fact, when we do follow our calling and when when we truly are on purpose, we are actually often well, basically always that in some parts of the journey. Um, called to do things that are very, very uncomfortable. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> that otherwise, otherwise, if there's something that's not really as it should be, because we we will be stretched if we really are true to our calling. That's part of how 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 our calling works. It's part of the mm-hmm. hero's journey. Mm-hmm. We are walking into the unknown, at least in you know many parts of the journey, and knowing that we are on purpose knowing that we are following our soul's calling makes it possible to do things that we never thought we could do. Mm, beautiful. Yep. So there's also that. I mean, when Source told me to leave retreat and go back into the world, that was really the last thing I ever wanted to do or thought I would have to do. And um, and yet I, I took the chance. Um, and it was absolutely the right the right step for you know living on purpose in the way that you were you're using that term i would not use that term generally purpose mm. um but i i think we're referring to the same thing around you know alignment around a sense of ease or at peace um a sense of rightness uh, mm. a sense of integrity mm-hmm. is a nice word Hi, sorry for interrupting. I would just like to take a brief moment to share a bit about what I do as a purpose guide. So are you in a place in your life where you would really like to get engaged in something? Maybe there are many alternatives that are pulling you in different directions, but it's really hard to choose one. They all seem relevant and interesting. What you would like is to be able to fully commit to something so that you can be 100% engaged in what you're doing, in a way where you feel that your unique gifts and talents are made good use of, and where you feel that you're making a contribution towards a better world. So my solution to this dilemma would be to help you find your purpose, because when you have that clarity about why you're here, while you're alive in this time and place, it's so much easier to choose. And when it's easier to choose, it's easier to get engaged in what you're doing without constant doubts about whether what you're doing is the right thing. So how do we do that? How do I help you get clear about your purpose? It's a process that is very much about connecting you to your soul, because your soul, the deepest part of yourself, is the part that knows your purpose. So the whole program, the Purpose Discovery Program, is very much centered around helping you get closer to your soul and to get information from your soul about your purpose and the different aspects of your purpose. We divide purpose into eight different facets, vision, powers, values, essence, giveaway, task, message and delivery system. And through different kinds of practices, you will gradually more and more clarify each of these throughout the process. Towards the end of the process, you're likely to have a very good soul-level understanding about why you're here. If this sounds interesting for you, you can book a free introductory session. It doesn't cost you anything, just a little bit of your time. We'll have a chat and we'll see if the program is the right fit for you and if you and I are a good fit to work on this together. So if you feel called, I really want to encourage you to go to my website and find the contact page and book a free session. Okay, let's get back to the interview. Thanks for listening. Yeah. And I would like to come back to this burger flipping example because yeah as you said that teacher may might have given completely different advice to another person and i could very well imagine that someone who is 
you know, very well in touch with their soul in that moment when the opportunity <laughs> to flip burgers arises might just really feel that no, this I, there's no circumstances where I could do that. <laughs> this is just completely against um, what my soul wants to do. And, um, and then also to trust that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, now you're pointing towards knowing yourself and the, the ability and the skill to discern when is this, when am I saying no, because I'm being a whiny crybaby and I just don't want to do it. And when am I saying no, because it's really not what I need to be doing. And yeah. that's a very, and that's why the the question, you know, might've been answered differently by this teacher, depending on the person asking it. And this is why I think a lot of what we're seeing in, in, in young people um, nowadays is a sense of lostness, I could say, mm-hmm. or a sense of maybe in, in, in purpose language, maybe not living on purpose with their soul, you could say, that may be your languaging, is mm. that there isn't this, this way of learning how to be in, in right relationship with source and with self. And so that kind of inquiry often takes time to learn how to discern. It's, there's a lot of trial and error as well. Yeah. But I think mentors, like what are you, what you're doing in the world for people is super important right now to help people to take the time to unpack a little bit what really is mine to do? What is really my giveaway? What is my relationship with source? All these things that we're discussing here and that you're discussing on this podcast are really integral to moving our society forward for us to have a sense of self-awareness and self-humility, you know, mm. self-understanding, um, um, is is super important. Yeah. Yeah. And in my language, I would um, you say that it's about being in touch with one's soul very much. So I'm a bit curious about how, yeah, how do you view that term and how does that fit into your way of viewing things? Mm. All these words are so loaded with yeah. meaning and often, yeah, differing. So I would, I would have to, we would sit and have a much longer conversation about what you mean by soul. Mm. Um, my sense is, you know, my sense in listening to you and knowing you a bit is in, in, in my language, I would call that place inside what I call it in self-history is the witness, um, And in the work that I teach, the witness is the place inside of us that can stand back from our personality, from our habits, from our desires. Um, And that part inside of us, that self inside of us, is the one that can observe all of my different drives and all of my different habits and all of my different longings. And I would say, for me, that witness, that observer, that self-awareness is probably akin to what you are meaning and pointing to when you use the word soul, Mm. because that place inside of me is also deeply connected to source, to a bigger picture, to a, a very spacious, open possibility Mm. That is not, though it cares about the little human self, it's not dedicated to that little human self getting what it wants. So it's sort of like, so for me, the witness is like the bridge Mm. or the fulcrum between source and self. And, And it is akin to a sense of soul. But if it gets too, um, what, how would I say it? If it gets too, like, uh, specifically personal with desires and preferences and agendas about purpose or truth or meaning, then I tend to 
want to move that into the realm of self and really keep the pureness of the soul place or the witness as very what Ram Dass would call loving awareness. It's a it's a it's a present, spacious bridge between source and self. That is where the alignment does happen, right? If we're going to talk about living on purpose as a sense of alignment, then that alignment is between source and self and what's in between, which is the witness. And for you, it may be the soul. Um, So that's kind of how I would begin a longer conversation with you about the nature of soul. Yeah. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense, certainly. Um, yeah, I mean, it's very similar to definitely certain aspects of soul. In, for me, like, for example, that soul is something that can see the bigger picture and, um, yeah, doesn't get stuck in the personalities things um yeah mm. it's um mm-hmm. but it's also something that's in some sense more personal than than source <laughs> itself yes um, yes <laughs> yeah it still feels like me in a sense right yeah it still feels like like a, there's a sense of self there but it's very impersonal yeah 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 yeah. So, hmm, um, this is interesting because witness sounds very much like a first-person experience. Um, and soul people, I and others often speak of being soul and, and having a first-person experience of soul, but people maybe even more commonly speak about having a relationship with soul. And so how, like... That for you having like a second person relationship to witness that doesn't sound right to me how did you yeah <laughs> how do you understand this <laughs> it depends it's all relative so it depends on where you're seeding your identity in any given moment so if i'm identifying as a self then I would be having a second person relationship with witness or source. And I would be looking to it. I might be talking to it. I might be wondering about it, whether it be witness or source. Now, in, 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 if in meditation or in, in other practices, if then the seat of your attention becomes in soul or in witness, right? What Ram Das says, it's so beautiful. He says, you go from role, R-O-L-E, which is the self or the personality, to soul. And then he points, he sa- he points to the head and he says, you go from role, and then he points to his heart. And he says, you to soul. So there's this shift. Sometimes you use the metaphor of turning the dial on a television back in the day when TVs actually had dials. Um, but it's this notion of, shifting your sense of identity into the seat of first person in the realm of the witness. And from there, you have a second person relationship with self and with source. Mm. Similarly, in, in the deep meditation practices, like I practiced in those 10 years, I was able to seat my sense of attention in source, mm. where I was source. And from there, I had a second person relationship. Now, here's where language gets weird, because to say I is a bit of a misnomer, but given what we're talking about here, let's stay with it. And a first person orientation to source has a second person perspective with witness and with self. So then the deeper question or the the more obvious question is where, where are you sitting? Where's your identity? Are you identified as self? Are you identified as witness or soul? Are you identified as source or God or the one or the absolute? And ideally, the answer is yes. I identify as all of them in different moments, and I have this fluidity to know where I'm identifying at any moment, and that that's not the totality of who I am or what is true. So there's a fluidity and an agility that emerges by actually having the self-awareness to know 
who you're identifying as in any given moment or decision. This is really important when it comes to decision-making. Should I flip burgers or not, right? Are you deciding from the self, from the witness, or from source? Well, you're going to get it probably or possibly a different answer Mm. from each one of those realms. Yeah. (laughs) But for you, then, um, so we... The witness is kind of uh, like purpose arises from source and we kind of get that information through the witness in a sense. Is that, um, would that be at least somewhat accurate? (laughs) I would say it's close. I would just say that purpose arises out of the dynamic relationship between all three realms. Mm, mm. And and because I don't believe my experience is not that source has an agenda for me. I am in a dynamic relationship with source. Mm. And I don't see source as primary. I don't see source as first. I don't see source as better than I see source and self as a co-arising dynamic organism, and Mm. they are in relationship with one another, which is why what the rabbis are saying is so beautiful, that your tafkid and your tachlit, they feed one another. Mm. It's not that we go to source to, to, you know, discover or unearth our purpose, and then we bring it back into the realm of self and we live it. There's an iterative process where self is also feeding source, and source is then feeding back to self, and they are in relationship with one another to create beauty in the world, to create goodness and truth and beauty in the world. Mm. And purpose is the is the purpose is the dynamic, we could say alignment or choreography of those two parts of ourselves in, you know, we bring in the third element, the witness or the soul as like the synthesizer, right? Because two is hard, but three then brings in the uh, capacity to really choreograph something of integrity. If we go too, too many other parts, it gets a little bit chaotic. If we only have one, we can't really move as freely. So these three realms, which represent three aspects of our human beingness, if we're in touch with all three of them, if we're cultivating relationships with all three of them, identities as all three of them, that's when that creative joy and purpose really comes comes into play. Mm. Yeah, yeah. No, that's beautiful that it's purpose comes from the integration of, of all of these, that it arises together. Um, yeah. It, yeah, that definitely feels much more complete than trying to, yeah. It's, um, it's always tricky, this thing with words and trying to define things and <laughs> because <laughs> in the end it's it's all so connected and you know you can't really separate the parts it's helpful to speak about but um we can also get lost in it yeah but yeah still it is important I, I, you very often i ask people about how they view soul because it is very helpful to have uh, also a rational understanding or you know some idea about it and and the more different perspectives we get on it the more the broader the wider our understanding of it gets and probably a little bit more (laughs) close to the truth and a better guide for for how to connect the soul Exactly. That's the goal. It's a better, all the conversations are super important and helpful. Our cognitive mind is just as mysterious as our, our emotional mind or our physical mind or our energetic mind. You know, we have, but to be able to talk about it and imagine it, this is another thing that Ram Das used to say is, is your imagination is something. Don't this your imagination. Your imagination can help guide you to an experience of soul. 
So I, my hope and my wish is that who's ever listening to this conversation is, is not just working on understanding, which is super fun also. I mean, I'm a very intellectual person. I love my, my intellect. But ultimately, it's helping me have an experience, not simply an idea, but to add on to the idea and experience and have my experience inform my ideas as well. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, having experience inform ideas and this back and forth is so essential that we are that we hold our ideas uh, lightly and are allowing them to change. If we hmm. don't allow our experience to change our ideas, everything gets quite rigid <laughs> uh, quite quickly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, so I wanted to ask you about how do you do when when it's difficult to see the way forward when maybe there's uh, some sort of a big decision concerning your vocation or you know when it's not so 100% clear what the next step will be how how do you relate to that what do you mm. what do you do to find clarity hmm. <clears throat> so if this whole process of purpose is emergent so it's it's a it's in a state of emergence and becoming. And I think this is really important to remember. It's not like you wake up one morning and you go, "Oh, I know what my purpose is." And then that's all you do for the rest of your life, right? Mm. It's it, it's it, it, even if your job doesn't change for the rest of your life, your way of being in your job will change. And the outside world will inform and impact the context of where, when, and how you do your job. So first thing I would say is to remember that in this moment of confusion or lack of clarity, that that's a normal part of the process of, of, of growing, of evolving, of emerging, of being alive. So there's often a lot of pressure put on people, especially young people, but nowadays it's actually any age. There's this notion of, well, you don't know what your purpose is. What's wrong with you? And the first thing I say is there's nothing wrong with you. You're living in the not knowing, and that's a really rich place to be. So don't don't feel like you have to get out of it quickly or run from it or that there's something wrong or that you're not doing something right and let yourself just relax into not knowing. I don't know what to do. Mm. Wow. So that's the first thing is to accept that you don't know and to to even celebrate that, mm. right? And then from there I would look at with the person, what are you doing regarding your tachlit? What are you doing regarding your relationship with source, with the mystery, with the wonder, with the, with the absolute? Okay. Do you have a practice? Do you have rituals? Do you have prayer? Do you have time quiet? Do you have time alone? What are you reading? Who are you in relationship with? What's your community like? Okay. So, so I would look at that area of the person's life and get curious about how to deepen in one's relationship with source. Similarly, I would, I would take a look and start to inquire and explore what are you doing in the realm of self, right? What's your giveaway? What do you feel like doing? What, what, what might be blocking you from your, your upbringing, from your family dynamic, from the trauma in your ancestral lineage? Maybe you need to do a little bit of work there. Maybe, maybe there's a therapy that's wanting to happen, right? Or maybe there's more learning. Maybe you want to go back to school. So, so what can you do in the realm of the person? personality and your humanness that is feeling stuck or is feeling open and wants you to explore right so i would i would i would feed 
both of those realms, the self and source, and then I would make sure that the person has a way to rest in the soul or in the witness. Mm. So I would inquire, well, what's your practice for that? Do you have do you have a meditation practice or a journaling p- practice, morning pages from the artist way? Or the thing about Polly, where you know, being alive in this day and age, we have so many different tools and teachers and teachings that we can access, sometimes it's hard to know to what end to apply those tools and those practices. Mm. So I like to help people pick a tool or a practice in each one of these realms and from, from any lineage and get clear on what your intent is with using that tool or that practice mm. and then see what emerges in the field of your not knowing. And then Mm. it gets, again, then we get back into that rich, fun place of wonder and joy because we're not being anywhere other than right here in the not knowing. And we're doing our tachlit and our tafkid. We're we're connecting, reconnecting with source, and then we're, you know, exploring our personality, getting blocks out of the way through different therapies, and also trying new avenues of expression that may have been dormant. And then slowly but surely with the patience and the loving presence of the soul or the witness that is in no hurry for you to to be anywhere other than you are, the answer emerges of what's next. Mm. It does. Yeah. Yeah, the answer emerges and the answer may emerge in a way where we don't feel fully clear about it, but we still know. We may not know that it's, we may be uncertain that it's the right direction, but we know that we need to go there to find out. (laughs) Beautiful. Right. Absolutely. And then we explore there the same way. You know, do I, does this feel like alignment or is this, you know, does this feel, am I uncomfortable here in a good way? Is this good discomfort or is this discomfort mean I shouldn't be going here? And, and these are not simple questions to answer. It's not so obvious all the time. Sometimes it's really obvious. Sometimes it's really clear. Other times it's not. And to have patience and to have, you know, a sense of um, gratitude or appreciation for the process and not to be so hungry for some purpose that you can really like hang your hat on and claim as yours for a sense of security that just doesn't exist. Ultimately, it really doesn't. Mm. Yeah. Also liked what you said about celebrating that you don't know, um, because hmm. we often frame not knowing, <laughs> not finding our way, as something negative, of course. And yeah, it can be challenging to be in that experience, but it's also—I don't know—it's also life, and let's celebrate all parts of life. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, historically in many like shamanic lineages, the not knowing that that is a very luminous realm um, of of possibility. And if we're if we jump too quickly to knowing, we may miss, you know, certain possibilities that um, that are also available for us. So I think it's very rich territory. And and I like to remind people that as long as you're really being in the not knowing, I promise you it will change. Mm. It's when you resist it or you try and force a knowing on top of it that, that your suffering increases. But to actually just, you know, it's like you mentioned the hero's journey. I mean, if you're out in the wilderness and you feel like you're on your path and you're going and then all of a sudden the path ends or a storm comes or it gets foggy, or all of a sudden you're lost, the best thing to do is to just sit down mm. and just like collect yourself and go, whoa, I'm lost. And then yeah. look around. What's here? What do I recognize? What do I know to be true? Do I have enough food? Have I seen that tree before? Do I hear anything? Is there water nearby? You kind of regroup and mm. recalibrate. 
Yeah. You recalibrate your alignment between source and witness or soul and self. You stop. You rest in being lost. And then the whole field shifts and opens. Mm. It's not a mistake, in other words. It's part, it's part of the emergent alignment and the emergent purpose. Yeah. And I really like that metaphor because if you are lost and you just don't stop and, you know, collect yourself and um, approach, you know, finding your way from a deeper place, then it could really lead to a catastrophe. <laughs> um, Thank you very much. Look around at the world right now, right? Yeah. Look at the world right now. If we could all as a species imagine this, if we as a species could say, we're lost. Hey, guys, let's just stop and regroup for a minute. Like everybody, like, like, and in a way, the pandemic almost forced us into doing that. But because we're so uncomfortable with stopping as a species at this point in human history, with not knowing, with not, you know, chasing after the next new shiny object. We don't know how to be still. We don't know how to be quiet. We don't know how to listen. We don't know how to regroup and recalibrate. And so we're kind of, or at least we don't know how to do that in the context of the complexity of these times. And so people like you and I are remembering and and recovering this, this very ancient and intuitive understanding of what it means to realign or reconnect or recalibrate. And, um, and it's, it's, it's essential to us moving forward as a species from my perspective. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, and our Time is running out here, so before we wrap up, I'd like to give you an opportunity to say a little bit about how people can work with you and, you know, the offerings that you have. Selfistry is the, the body of work that was born out of my experience of Source in retreat. And then my emergence back into the world as a self named Sarah. And so what self-history is, is, is I like to call it a learning ecosystem. So it's a place where all are welcome to come. And what I provide is a framework for you to, <laughs> in a way, it's like, if you're feeling lost, it's a it's it's a place for you to come and celebrate your lostness, right? Mm. So it offers a framework of these three realms that we have spoken of today in our beautiful conversation. And it gives you some guidance and some tools of how to deepen in your tahlit, your relationship with source, in your tafkid, in your expression of your unique human beingness, and then in this bridge place that we're calling the witness or the soul. And so what you'll find in self-history is a community that's exploring that and rediscovering and realigning. You'll find tools and um, that framework, which is a very simple and elegant framework. And you'll find me, somebody who has um, taken the journey thus far and continues to walk with you on that journey towards your own alignment, which is um, the same as your emergent purpose in the way that that you Polly are referring to purpose so mm. so you can find me online selfistry.com and um, be happy to to meet you and and talk to you and uh, it's a rich community of of uh, you know seekers maybe is one word um, mm. But um, yeah, that's a little bit about me and how you can spend time with me. Yeah. Would you like to mention a little bit about your book also, maybe? So the book that I wrote is called, it's a memoir, and it's called Being Self-ish. 
my journey from escort to monk to grandmother. And it's a, it's, um, it's a story of my 10 years in retreat, how I got there, um, what happened for me there, and, and coming out of retreat. Um, I'm also in the process right now of finishing up my second book, which is a handbook for humanity. And it is the encapsulation of what we have spoken about here in this podcast and the framework of self-history as, as a tool for transformation and realignment and recalibration in these very, very complex and um, chaotic times that we live in. So, so that should be coming out within the next six months. Mm, wonderful. Okay, so thank you so much, Sarah, for being on the Life Purpose podcast. Thank you, Polly. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you liked what you heard here, you will love the second part of the conversation. You can find that in the members area of my website. It doesn't cost you anything at all to become a member. It's completely free. In that part, we take a more in-depth look at the practicalities of purpose discovery and embodiment. If you want to get started with exploring your purpose right away, you'll find useful information there. And if you're already on the path of purpose discovery and embodiment, you'll find pointers for how you can go deeper on that journey. Here's an excerpt from the second part. It was there that I felt my heart break open the most. Mm. And it was there that I felt drawn or pushed, you could say, back into my humanity, into myself, to express that open heart mm. in the world, not just to Source. Mm. You know, I, I was secure in my love for Source, but I definitely wasn't sure if I loved humans very much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you find out? <laughs> I found out I love them a lot. I don't always like them, but I love them so much. Yeah. <laughs> and I want to express that love. And, and that's part of my purpose, is expressing love and understanding and embodiment. All three of those aspects of my human beingness. Mm. Hmm. Yeah. If you want to listen to the rest of the second part, you can either find the members area in the menu on my website, paulisari.com, or use the link in the show notes. Membership is completely free. You just sign up with your name and email address and receive a password. And that gives you access to all of the extra materials for the podcast. In the members area, you can also find a purpose discovery meditation. These are strong words, but I can almost guarantee that this meditation will give you at least some piece of new information concerning your purpose. I say that based on that this is what people again and again report back to me after doing the meditation. I hope that you will find it helpful too. Thanks again for listening to this episode. Have a great week and I'll talk to you soon.